0: Now, we started a series this month called Whatever It Takes, and two Sundays ago, I started a message in Luke chapter 15, and my intention was to finish verses 1 through 32, but whatever possessed me to think I could complete 32 verses in one sermon, I don't know. So today, I'm going to give you the second part of that message. This is a message I'm calling Lost and Found from Luke chapter 15, 15. We'll begin with verse 11 and hopefully finish out with verse 32. So if you want to title this message, you can title it Lost and Found Part 2. Uh, This is uh, the sequel. So I hope that uh, you'll open up your Bible or if you want to use our church app, you can download the app, open it up to today's message and you will find uh, the notes available for you there on the app as well as the scriptures. This whole series is called Whatever It Takes because we have a conviction as a church that we ought to be willing to do whatever it takes short of disobeying God to win people to faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that means different things to different people, but we believe that while the message of Jesus is love, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, while that message never changes... Methods always have changed in church culture and always will change. And one of the things that we consider when we're thinking about what it means to be the local assembly of this church is what are those things we need to do not only to help Christians, people who are insiders, people who are followers of Jesus, but also what do we need to do to make sure we're communicating the gospel in a way this culture can understand and relate to. And we're just willing to do whatever it takes short of sinning to reach one more person with the gospel of Jesus. We believe that's biblical. And today we see from this story that Jesus tells about a prodigal son and a loving father that God the Father is passionate about reaching out to even that one who is separated from him, even that one person who is far from him. And God goes to great lengths to restore a relationship with people who are far from him. And because we are his children and because we are his church, we want to share the Father's heart. Now, if you're new to Christianity or you're not sure if you believe in Jesus, this is a great day to be here because this is a little insider information to let you know what motivates those of us who are believers. And so after today, at least you'll be able to say, I get why they do what they do. And even if you are a member of our church, Or you're a Christian, but you're checking out our church. What a great day to be here, because I think it'll help you make sense of why we do what we do here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Why we are willing to hold our methods very loosely while holding the message of the gospel absolutely tightly. Now, if you recall, Luke chapter 15 is a parable that Jesus gives. It's really a parable with three stories. We won't talk about the first two, but the first involved a a story of a, a shepherd who had lost one of his 99 or 100 sheep. He had 99 safe, one was lost. He leaves the 99 because they're safe, they're cared for, and he goes out into the wilderness at great cost and risk and expense to himself, and he searches until he finds that one sheep. And he's so thrilled that he's found that one sheep because that sheep is valuable to him He comes home rejoicing, and he invites others to rejoice with him. The second story Jesus gave in this chapter was about a woman who lost one of ten coins. She had ten. This is the whole amount of her life savings. Each one of those ten coins represented a full day's wage. And she is distraught that she's lost this valuable coin to her. So she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She looks in every nook and cranny and corner until she finds that lost coin. And whenever she finds it, she's thrilled. And she invites her neighbors over. You guys heard how upset I was. I found it. Come and rejoice with me. And then Jesus tells this story we're going to talk about today. The story of a father who lost a son, not in death, but who lost a son in rebellion. The son rebelled against the father's love, rebelled against the father's care, rebelled against everything the father stood for. And in spite of all that the son put the father through, the father loved him and never stopped looking for that son to be found and for that son to be restored. Now what prompted the stories that Jesus told? were because the religious leaders of his day were furious that he was hanging out with what they called tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government to collect taxes from the Jewish people to send on to Rome. And because of their contact with Gentiles, they were considered ceremonially, spiritually unclean by their fellow kinsmen. And they were often... People of shady character who charged people more taxes than what they really owed. And then the sinners that the Pharisees and scribes referred to were were all the other people who didn't live up to the Ten Commandments perfectly or who didn't live up to the 613 traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes had put on the shoulders of the Jewish people to keep. So if you didn't meet their high standard, you were considered a sinner. And Jesus is hanging out with these people. And it infuriated them to the point where they grumbled against Jesus that he's hanging out, that he's receiving, and that he's fellowshipping with these kind of people. Now sadly, it seems in our day, there are many churches who have forgotten that the Father's heart is moved with compassion for those who are far from him. And that the Father's heart is not one of condemnation or judgment. The Father's heart is one of compassion. And that the church needs to be the expression of the Father's heart of compassion and love for those who are far from him. Looking for people to come to God. Longing for people to come to God. Welcoming people who are coming to God. And being ready to present that Father's heart to anyone who wonders. Will the Father love me? Will he receive me home after everything I've done wrong in my life? And the answer in Jesus' parable is yes. The Father does love you. He will receive you. Don't take my word for this. I want you to see from Luke 15, verse 11, this third story in the parable that Jesus gives in this chapter. Sometimes we call it the parable of the prodigal son. I think really it's better the parable of the father's heart. The prodigal is not the hero of the story. The heavenly father is the hero of the story with his love. Verse 11, and he said, this is Jesus speaking, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, the son is saying, father, I know that one third of this estate comes my way when you die. The oldest gets two thirds. I get the rest. I wish you were dead. I don't want to wait. I want what is mine. I don't want a relationship with you. I want what I can get from you. And he, the father, divided his property between them. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I mean, this kid partied hard. Man, he whined and dined. He spent the money. He had tons of friends. As long as the uh, the drinks were flowing, as long as the food was being served, as long as the music was playing, he's having a ball. His friends are with him. And the Bible calls this reckless living. This is not a wise way to live. This is not going to turn out good for this young man. He's making a mess of his life. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything. He blew through every penny of his father's inheritance. He thought now it couldn't get any worse. He's broke. He looks around. All of his fair weather friends are gone because he can no longer pay for the party. But once he thought it couldn't get worse, it did. The Bible says Jesus said a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So not only has he lost everything, But now a famine has come through this area where people are starving to death. They can't feed themselves, much less help him when he is down and out. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Look at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He's in a Gentile country. He becomes a servant of a Gentile. And what does this man make him do? It says, who sent him into his fields to feed, what's the word? Pigs. That may not gross you out, but if you are a first century good Jewish boy, this is not the place you want to be. According to the Old Testament book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, pigs, swine, are ceremonially unclean. They were off limits to the Jewish people. And the lowest of low is that this young man is now a servant to a Gentile in his fields feeding pigs. You talk about hitting rock bottom, he's almost there. He's not quite there, but he's almost there. Look at verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now he's at rock bottom. He is so hungry, he starts envying the slop of the hogs. Now when I was a kid, I would go to my grandmother's house in South Georgia, and they... Tended pigs, and we would slop the hogs. It's nasty work. And then they would slaughter the hogs. That's nasty work. And that's where this kid is. And no one gives him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself. And how many parents have prayed that their rebellious child would finally come to himself, come to herself, wake up and realize what a mess they've made of their life wake up and realize how they've hurt themselves and hurt their family in the process and how that this journey, this road that they are on is only going to lead to further hurt and harm. But when you come to yourself, you realize, I can't keep doing this. I've got to get my life right. I've got to go home. I've got to go home to my parents. I've got to go home to my father. And I've certainly got to go home to God and get right with him. So... Verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? He says, Even the servants in my father's house do better than I'm doing now. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Notice that he's not making excuses. He's owning up to the mistakes he's made. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Just, I know I've done too much to ask you to let me be a son again. Just let me be like a hired servant. Just let me do a job. At least I'll be with you. At least I'll have something to do and I'll have something to eat. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still... A long way off, his father saw him. I can just imagine this father every day, probably at the same time, going to that same spot on the road to his estate and looking out the horizon, wondering, will this be the day that my son who was lost is found? Will this be the day that my son who rebelled returns? Will this be the day that the son I've lost is restored to me? And on this day, this father's prayers were answered. The father had never stopped longing for his son to return. The father had never stopped praying. The father had never stopped looking. And on this day, even while he's still a long way off, his father saw him. He sees this guy walking down the road headed toward home. And even though he looks bad, I mean, he's been in the pig pen He's filthy, his clothes are tattered and torn, he has no shoes on his feet, but his father still knows him, still recognizes him. When I was in Georgia, uh, the last time my dad was in the hospital, someone said, aren't you Quilliam Powell's son? I said, yes sir, I am. How how did you guess? And he said, you look like your dad and you walk like your dad. I don't know what that means, but (laughs) evidently this father could tell just by the gait of this Approaching person. That's my boy. And, and what does the father feel when he sees his son who's putting through so much hurt? The father saw him and felt. And how you and I fill in that blank. How we feel about people who have made a mess of their lives. Or people who haven't lived up to the Ten Commandments. Or people who are on you know, their fifth marriage. How we feel about those people. Reveals whether or not we share the heart of the Father. How this church fills in that blank about how we feel about people who are far from God in this community. Your family members, your friends, your neighbors, mine. How we fill in that blank reveals whether or not we share the Father's heart. This Father felt compassion. Compassion. Not anger, not resentment, not how dare you, not suspicion, not get your life cleaned up and then we'll talk about restoring you. No, he just felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21, the son begins his speech. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him, doesn't let him get to the point where he says, let me be as one of your hired servants. Instead, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Yes, I know his clothes are tattered and torn, but you know that best robe that we always reserve for the guest of honor whenever we have dignitaries come to our home? You put it on this, my son, Yes, and I want you to put a ring on his hand. My son will be restored to full authority in this family. I want the family signet on his hand now. In that day, a ring was more than jewelry. It was often used as a way to seal important documents or contracts. The signet on that ring would be pushed into melted wax on a contract to signify, I have the authority to make this agreement with you. This is the authority of my name and my family. And the father says about his son, I want the ring on his finger. He's not going to be a servant. He's not a second-class citizen. He's my son, fully restored with all the rights of my family name. And I want you to put shoes on his feet. Only servants walk around barefoot. I want shoes on his feet. The father's not finished. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. You know that calf we've been feeding and fattening up, waiting for a big occasion, waiting to have a party? Well, that day's come. You bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. Why? Why is the Father doing this? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father's throwing a party because this one son has come home. It has been said a sign of health is when you feel appropriately about a situation or a person. A sign of mental health is when you feel appropriately about a situation or a person If you see planes crashing into towers in New York City on September the 11th, 2001, and you are filled with joy, there is something wrong with you. And if you can't join the Father's heart in being thrilled and overjoyed with this son who was as good as dead, now being alive, who was lost, now being found, if you can't join in the Father's heart with celebration, there's something wrong with you. And there was something wrong with the Pharisees and the scribes because they're grumbling about Jesus hanging out with these kind of people. These are the kind of people Jesus came to save. These are the kind of people the Father loves. You say, yeah, but they've made a mess of their life. Here's the dirty little secret. So have you. So have I. We're all sinners. Amen? Oh, don't look at me like that. Like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know good and well that you've made mistakes that broke your own personal standards of right and wrong. And you've certainly broken God's standards of right and wrong. And a sign of health is when you feel appropriately. It is appropriate for the Father to feel compassion. It is appropriate for the Father to rejoice and to celebrate. But there is someone who's not feeling what the Father feels. Verse 25. This is really the climax of this message, of this parable that Jesus gives. This is why I wanted to finish this today. Look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound wouldn't you love to hear that servant say this to the older son oh why the music why the dancing why the party it's because your brother's home listen your dad saw him coming down the road i've never seen your dad smile like i saw him at that moment I've never seen your dad so happy as I've seen him in that moment when he knew that your brother was going to be okay. Now, your brother's a little worse for the wear. He's tattered and torn, but he's home. He's safe and sound, and your brother is here, and your father is throwing a party. Aren't you happy? But look at what happens. Verse 28, but he was angry. He didn't feel compassion like his father felt. He was angry and refused to go in. He's throwing a pity party. He is pouting out in the field while the party is going on in the house. Because he is angry at the love and the compassion and the joy that is being shown over this one boy who's come home. Aren't you glad the older brother didn't meet the younger brother first? I mean, can you imagine that conversation? Oh, you show up now. Yeah, not a penny to your name. If you still had money in your pocket, you wouldn't be here. The only reason you came home is you had nowhere else to go. You've brought disgrace on dad. You've brought disgrace on our family name. How dare you show up here? You go get your life cleaned up, and then you come back, and we might think about restoring you. That's what the older brother would have done. But that's not what the father did. And it's infuriated the older brother. Listen, the older brother is like the Pharisees and the scribes who are furious at Jesus for being happy to receive sinners and to eat with them. The same things this father is doing for this son who has come home So verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He's he's begging him, son, come on into the party. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice this, he doesn't call him when this brother of mine. Notice when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. This older brother is furious. Oh, by the way, it wasn't just the younger son who left the farm. Even the older brother, even though he stayed back, he had left the father without ever leaving the farm. He's been doing all the right things. He's been going through the motions. He's been working. He's been trying to live up to the standards of his dad and his God. But his heart wasn't in it. He was only doing it because he felt obligated to do it. He wasn't doing it because he loved his father. And he wasn't doing it because he saw compassion in his father's heart. And he wanted to be like his dad. He was just doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And church folks, it is easy to come on Sunday morning and to do the right thing with a wrong attitude. And for our heart to be far from the father and to not share the same compassion... Yeah, you can leave the father without ever leaving the farm, which is what this older boy did. Maybe we've got the wrong prodigal. At least one of them came home. The other is still out in the field. And he's furious. It was said the gravitational pull is toward the insider, the older brother in most of our churches. And I believe that's true. That the tendency of each one of us is to be more focused on us than someone else. And you can know that's true whenever you discover what makes you angry about church. Often what makes us angry about church is when something that we like has been changed to better reach someone who was far from God. And the gravitational pull is toward the insider, toward those who were here from the beginning, towards those who put money in the offering plate, toward those who were charter members, towards those who built these buildings. And we sometimes think the church ought to become a club for us. And when we make changes to reach more people who are far from God, we get angry about that. And I want to say I am so grateful to pastor a church that loves reaching people who are far from God. You guys have supported your pastor in the leadership and the vision because you know, even though you don't always agree with my methods, you know my motives and you know the message of the gospel has never changed. Not from day one in 1994 when I came on staff here have I ever watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the heartbeat of your pastor to not only love and care for those we've reached, but to reach one more, just one more God who's far from you. If you want to know what keeps me awake at night, it is God, how can we reach one more who's far from you? To experience the same love of the Father that I've experienced. The same grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. Because when I read this parable, do you know who I identify with? I identify with that boy who made a mess of his life. Who was sinful. Who had nothing to offer God. Even his best deeds were like filthy rags before God. But God in grace accepts and forgives and restores and makes you his child. No wonder the Apostle John cries out... As he writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. That's a love that the world doesn't know anything about that would make somebody like me a child of God. Verse 31, He, the Father, said to him, Son, you were always with me, And all that is mine is yours. Son, you have unbroken fellowship with me. And you have unlimited resources from me. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. I've not mistreated you. I've not slighted you in the least by rejoicing over your brother who is now home. I've been good to you. He says in verse 32 to the older brother, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad This your brother. He doesn't say this my son. I love it. He changes it back to put it in the perspective of the older brother. This your brother. Not only should I be happy. This is your brother. Who was dead is now alive. Who was lost and is found. If that doesn't excite you and bring you joy. Then you've missed my heart. You really don't know much about me, your father. Do you know something about this parable? This is where it ends. It just ends. Jesus doesn't tell us how the older brother responds. Jesus doesn't say, and then the older brother said, well, I know, but I don't care. The reason I use that is because many years ago when we were making a few changes in our church, uh, mainly in worship style, we were a very blended church. Uh, still more traditional than anything. I had a lady that was not happy with me, so I wanted to just share my heart and share my commitment. will always be biblical. I know it's not how you were raised, but there's a whole new generation that needs Jesus, and we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. And as I sat in her living room, she told me about her grandchildren who do not go to church and who are not Christians. And so I said what kind of church would it be that you think would better reach your grandchildren, the kind you want, or what I'm trying to lead our church to do? And she said, well, what you're doing, but I don't care. You've ruined the last few good years of my life. And I thought, how do you say that? How do you say I know that what Fort Caroline Baptist Church is doing is the kind of church that would reach my children who grew up in a different generation, but I don't care? I just want to be comfortable I want things the way they've always been. And when I'm dead and gone, you do what you want to, but you've ruined my life? Really? Shouldn't it excite you more than anything in the world that your grandchild, who is far from God, could come home to a right relationship with God through Jesus? And if that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. And I left her home that day brokenhearted. I don't know, maybe that older brother responded that way. I know, Father, but I don't care. He probably wasn't that honest. But hopefully the older brothers said, Father, you're right. I've missed your heart. I've been happy about the wrong things and mad about the wrong things. I should have been happy that my brother's home safe and sound. I should have joined you in rejoicing that he is back with us in the family. And that same grace you've shown to him, you've always shown to me. I should have joined the party. Father, I'm sorry. I think the reason Jesus didn't tell us how this story ends is he was giving the religious leaders of his day the opportunity to write the last chapter of this story for themselves. And I believe he's giving you individually and us as a church the opportunity to write the closing of this story for ourselves. You see, we are often the older brother And as the older brother, when God reaches someone who's far from him, how do we respond? Are we willing to do whatever it takes like that shepherd looking for that one lost sheep? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to find that one lost coin? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to look and to long for that one lost son? And whenever that which was lost is found, does it bring the greatest joy of our hearts? Only you get to end this chapter. Jesus puts the pen in your hand. How will you respond? And I believe the overwhelming majority of the people in this church, from the 8 o'clock service all the way through, say, I want to share the Father's heart. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'll get out of my comfort zone like the shepherd. I'll pour energy and time like the woman. And I will have an open heart Praying and longing for that one who's lost to be found like the Father. You see, if we have a heart like God's, then we will rejoice like God over every sinner who is rescued by God. And the same grace of God it takes to save that prodigal son is the same grace you and I have experienced. And that, my friend, is why Jesus taught Luke 15. It reveals whether or not we share the Father's heart. I want to pray for us in this moment. Your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe, maybe today, for the first time in your life, you've come to realize you're that prodigal son. You've rebelled against God the Father. You've sinned. And yet today, you've come to realize that in spite of your sin, God the Father loves you and he's made the way possible for you to come home. The way is called Jesus. Jesus died for you on a cross. He took the punishment for your sin. He died and was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead, vindicated that he is the Son of God, and having paid the price for your sin. And all he asks of you today is to turn from your sin, come to yourself like this young son did, and come to the Father. Jesus put it this way in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Will you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ right now? The Father waits for you with open arms I don't know what you've done. I don't know how guilty you feel. I don't know how ashamed you are. But I can promise you this, when the Father looks at you here this morning, he feels one thing, compassion, love, come home. Maybe today, right now, in the stillness of this moment, you'll pray silently to God and you'll say something like this, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me on that cross, taking my punishment. I believe Jesus is alive And I trust in Him right now for the forgiveness of my sin and for the gift of eternal life. Heavenly Father, I also thank you that for most people in this room, they've already trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but it is so easy for us to be pulled towards the insider and thinking about only ourselves when your heart is broken over that one who's far from you. And we are that body of Christ. We are that shepherd who ought to be looking for that one sheep. We are that woman who ought to turn the house upside down if that's what it takes to find that one lost coin. We are that father who looks and longs and prays and is ready to receive one who comes home to you. Father, we pray right now in the stillness of this moment that you would find us rededicated to being your people, sharing your heart for those who are far from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.